This is episode 116 of the Rising Man podcast with Abel Gonzalez. We learn from failure, not from success. Good rising family, blessings out to all y'all risers out there representing the Rising Man movement. My name is Jetty Azuma. I'm sending my prayers and thoughts to all of you out there, whoever and wherever you are. These are crazy times. The beautiful thing is, is that we have each other and we can create whatever we want to in this time. I truly believe that. As I've said many times over, the Rising Man mission is to initiate an entire generation of men so that our children and the next generations have strong masculine leadership to guide them into an uncertain future. After two years of clarifying the Rising Man message and establishing our roots and values, it's more clear to me than it's ever been What men need most is brotherhood and spaces where we can realize that we're not alone, that we're not unique in our challenges, our fears, and our obstacles, especially now, especially when we're isolated and quarantined to our homes with social distancing practices and separation protocols. We can't let this deter us from connecting and creating brotherhood. So if you've been lone wolfing it, if you've been getting a little stir crazy at home, sitting inside of your pad all alone, if you're looking to clarify your purpose, then the Rising Man Tribe has something for you. Just go over to risingman.org to check out our virtual men's fire circles, our four-day vision fast initiation called Compass, all the video content and everything else Rising Man related going on. It's all happening at risingman.org. Jump in today. Jump in right now while you have the time, while you have the energy and the space to make a difference. If there's anything that you can do while you're sitting at home, on the couch, watching Netflix, thinking of whatever you can do to be productive, jump in, lean in, work on yourself right now so that when this all blows over, you're ready. You're ready to rock and roll. You've already got momentum built up. All right. Let me talk about my guest today. This is a man I am delighted to introduce, a brother who has been listening to the podcast for a while and doing incredible work in the world. His name is Abel Gonzalez. Health, family, hope. What are these but the cornerstones of a life well lived? My man, Abel Gonzalez, is an American ninja warrior who's battled for the better part of two decades to achieve what so many of us have the good fortune to take for granted. He's a Chicago native, and he relocated to the Rio Grande Valley in deep South Texas as a child, his family torn asunder by divorce. By the age of 20, he had custody of his two youngest brothers and a burgeoning football career. Abel got his family, but then he lost his health. He was diagnosed at 23 with rheumatoid arthritis and told he would be in a wheelchair by 30. But he didn't give up. He fought back. He transformed his fitness regime, incorporating sports as varied as gymnastics, rock climbing, parkour, and yoga. He altered his diet significantly, and when he reached 30, he was not only standing on his own two feet, but running, jumping, twisting, and climbing on them too. Today, Abel is a six-time American Ninja Warrior veteran, one of less than 30 people to make it to stage three in the Las Vegas-based finals on the show. Abel's biggest fans love him, not for his achievements, but because of his unwavering hope and faith in himself and those around him. Truly an awesome dude. I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. In this episode, Abel and I discussed how boys can dodge responsibility while a man must meet it head on. How Abel's tumultuous childhood taught him invaluable lessons. Why making mistakes is the best and easiest way to learn. How so many of our pains come from expecting life to run smoothly and why losing and failing are fundamental experiences to ultimately succeed. Without further ado, Abel Gonzalez.
All right. Rising Man family, I got another amazing man joining me on the show today. Really looking forward to this conversation. A brother from down in deep south Texas. I don't think we've had somebody from deep south Texas on here before. Abel Gonzalez, man. Good to have you here, bro. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah. yeah. Deep South Texas. You got to say that because Texas is gigantic, man. It's huge. <laughs> I you know. Big, big state. It's huge, man. It's huge. And and specifically, you're in your academy at the moment, right? Axios Warrior Academy out there? Yeah, I'm here at my gym slash school. I, I like the word academy better. I don't want to just call it a gym because people think they're just going to go do bench press and stuff if I say it's a gym. I like to use the word academy. I like to say, hey, there's it's a school. They're going to have classmates. They're going to have coaches that are going to be there, and they're going to teach them, and they're going to create, they're going to build a relationship, and and they're going to have this new community that they're involved in. So we like the word academy. Uh huh. Awesome, man. Uh, so for people who don't know you yet, I mentioned a little bit about you on the intro, which you're you're so many layers to who you are. But most people will recognize you from being on American Ninja Warrior. But just looking through your profile and seeing all the messages that you have for this younger generation, it's really, it's way bigger than that. I, I could see that right on the surface, man. And I'm looking forward to accessing the depth and seeing what you have for these, for these men out there today. Yeah, yeah. I am an American Ninja Warrior. You know, that's a really crazy title. Someone <laughs> once asked me, it's like, hey, what do you go by? You know, what's your title? I'm like, wait, am I a business owner or am I an American Ninja Warrior? I'm not sure anymore. <laughs> but yeah, an American Ninja Warrior. I, I compete on NBC. I've competed the last six years and it's been basically for me, it was a personal goal to just see how athletic I can become, how elite, how much control and strength and ability can I get? How far can I push that? And then when I saw that show, I said, that's the ultimate test right there. Let me go. Let me see if I can get on this show and, and find out if I'm actually doing the right training and it's really working, the, the, the amount of work that I'm putting in. And I went out to the show and that was, it was 2014. And I was like pretty much unofficial rookie of the year in the whole country. So I was like, yeah, I must be doing something right, you know? Yeah. They <laughs> uh, just clicked from there. You know, they, they really enjoyed me. They loved my story. They invited me back five years in a row, which is really crazy. That's one of the hardest things to do is to go back to the show. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, it was just basically a platform, you know, a platform for things like this to happen, opportunities to speak and, and visit and, and have an impact with the stories that I've, the things that I've gone through, I say stories, but the things that I've gone through, I saw them as stories happening in real time Yes. and that I would tell later. So that was just one thing that got me through. It was like, it's okay, whatever you're going through right now, it's just going to be another story, another chapter in the book. Just make it through so you can get to that book someday. Awesome, man. Well, let's, before, before we start peeling back the pages of the story of Abel Gonzalez, let me ask you, I know you know this one's coming because you listen to the podcast. What is the difference between a boy and a man? Oh, this one is something that hit me, I think like two years ago. The difference is, and I like to say adult, right? Like what's the difference between a child and an adult? Because mm -hmm. it goes both ways for us women too, but for men more specifically because they have the bigger influence uh, overall as far as what's going to happen. But I think that the difference is the boy doesn't have to take responsibility, but the man has to take responsibility. Mm -hmm. And the man, he, he can take responsibility as early as nine years old, 10 years old, 12 years old. I, I did it at 10, you know, I was kind of like, kind of forced into that, you know. But if you look like at ancient Greece and, and those, those traditions, man, and they were at seven years old where they were like forced yeah. to take responsibility for their own life and they had to go out and, and then they came back and then they were okay, now you can be part of this, part of our culture, right, or our community. But yeah, so I think... You could wait as long as 30 or 40 and never take responsibility for your life, man. And that's, that's really the part where it's like they needed a mentor. They needed someone to guide them. To get them. Mm. 
And, and that's one of the most painful things is when you, you see, because I've seen thousands of men come into spaces like this where all of a sudden the mirror is held up to them and they finally see it. They finally see it and finally admit that they never really took responsibility for themselves. They've been, they've been making it about themselves their whole life, but had no idea. Yeah. And, and once that veil is removed, it's, it's painful. It's a, it's a painful lesson. There's a lot of grief around not having mentorship or people to have guided them towards exactly what you just shared. So what, what, tell us a little bit about mentorship because I know you had an interesting perspective on that. You told me some of your mentors w- started yeah. off as, as anime characters and, and people yeah. on YouTube. Like that's a, that's a great perspective in this modern world we live in that that's, that's yeah, also for mentorship. Sure. For most people, you know, most guys are, or boys growing up, their father's like their first hero, right? He's there, he's raising them, he's, he's a provider and things. And my dad was, my father was really an amazing man. I just looked up to him. He was so athletic, so strong. He, he had courage, he had discipline he was an entrepreneur he was taking care of his family and then like overnight it seemed like when my mom decided to divorce him he just changed he just became someone that i no longer looked up to i, I did not respect him i did not like his actions he he really made it seem like because my mom left his life was over so he was just going to make everybody's life miserable mm-hmm. he, he, he did that and that was okay that was just something the way he was brought up right he probably could have had a mentor at that time and he didn't but yeah, so he became very destructive, very abusive. He was an alcoholic. Uh, he went to jail. He, he did a lot of you know, things that not respectable things. So I, I could no longer see him as my hero. So then I was sent away from, from my family. So I was sent away from Chicago. That's where that happened. And I was brought to Texas. And, you know, I had great uncles and great aunts. And they, took, they stepped up. They definitely did. They became my parents. They became my family, my immediate family. My, my cousins became kind of like brothers and sisters and we were really close here in Texas and as I got older you know I was still just kind of floating around you know not really knowing what am I supposed to do am I just supposed to go to school and just pass school pass get grades get grades and keep on going to school and then get ready for a job like what's going on I was hanging out with some friends and my cousin and stuff we were actually like at a high school party it was at our house but it wasn't like crazy party it was just us hanging out with friends from high school and one of my friends, he knows, he puts on this show called Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. And in Dragon Ball Z, there's a hero there, the, the main hero, his name is Goku. And I connected to him with him right away because he reminded me of my dad because my dad before was very fun, very chill, very playful. Mm-hmm. But when he had to be strong and he had to defend, he would do all those things. So I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, that guy's awesome, right? So I got hooked to Dragon Ball Z and, and Goku was a great, great uh, individual to follow. You know, he made mistakes. He was strong. He trained. He had a discipline. He was there for his child. He was there for his wife. He was a great husband. So it was like, dude, this, this guy's an anime character. He's cartoon to some people, right? Yeah. But you could look up to him. You know, you, mm-hmm. can, you can relate to him. Yeah. So I just fell in love with that guy right away. And I thought, man, this is the coolest show ever. So then I, I had him as kind of like someone to look up to. I didn't really say, oh, yeah, he's, my, he's who I look up to. I just mm-hmm. unconsciously, I guess, connected with him and then later on in, in life as I got older and stuff and started looking into health and fitness I ran into other trainers like trainers that were like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna follow this guy I want to learn how to have a very strong squad or something and I would go to YouTube and I ran into this guy named Elliot Hulse which was mm. uh, he became a world he was becoming a really big popular YouTuber and he would talk about training and strength and and uh, I followed him and I could see that he was growing you know he was a couple years older than me. I think he's like five or six years older than me and I could see that throughout the years I was getting training advice, right? Just to get strong and healthy and things. But he was growing as an individual. He was growing, he was building businesses. He was learning about meditation and yoga. I'm like, oh man, that's that's kind of the way I want to go too. He's where I want to be, but he's five years ahead of me or so. So if I just sit here and, and take in his advice and, and try to apply the things that he's teaching, you know, maybe I will be there. Like that's just the way it works, you know, those are step by steps. 
Mm-hmm. So he was a big influencer. He, he, he is also an individual that talks about masculinity, what it means to be a man and how to handle situations and things that you may not have been taught by your father or your uncle or your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, I always think of uh, Bruce Lee as one of my mentors and he passed yeah. away long before I was even born. And one of the things that he says all the time was around this, the idea of mentorship and learning from teachers is that it's our responsibility to expose ourselves to, to many different things, many different ways, many different styles of martial arts was the context mm-hmm. of the conversation. And he said, take what's useful and make it your own and discard mm-hmm. everything else. And I, I realize that that's the journey of manhood, in my opinion, and becoming a man is being a witness to all these different versions of being a man. Because there's so many different ways that men are being men on this planet. Some of them are ways that we want to replicate that and be more of that. And others are examples of what we don't want to be, what we don't want to become, how we don't want to be. And both are equally as important. Yeah, for sure. I saw that in my father right away. It was, it was overnight. You know, I, I admired him. I wanted to be just like him. And then, and then, you know, next day, I just I couldn't, I couldn't believe that he was this person. Now he was the opposite of what, you know, a father should be. So mm-hmm. I had the both contrast so fast. I'm like, okay, well, I know I don't want to do that. And I know I want this. So why don't I, I start molding myself into that individual? And yeah, so you need both. And then you also need, you know, I heard you talk about it in another podcast. You need other men around you too. You, you need coaches, right? Coaches are big ones. So mm-hmm. Coaches like in school or, or whatever activity you're doing. But you also need like uncles and, and grandpas if they're there, you know. Mm-hmm. And that brings up another idea of like why we need to take care of our own health. You know, we need to take care of our host. We can be there for the, for the people coming up. You know, both sure. my, my grandpas are, are not here. You know, yep. They haven't been here for a long time. It's like, so I don't know the men who raised my, you know, my parents. It's like, oh, mm. so then there's another gap there, right? But they, they weren't healthy enough to, to be here and to mentor me or to guide me in some way. So that's why we got to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, and let's, let's pause on the health thing for a minute because you have an incredible health story that I want to <laughs> tap into. Uh, but there was in this theme of accepting responsibility, because that's really what you highlighted as the difference between a boy and a man. Uh, mm-hmm. You also said before we started recording about the importance of making mistakes. And when you were talking about Goku from Dragon Ball Z, that was one of the things you mentioned. He made mistakes. And yeah. that's just not the message we get as boys. There's, there's so much messaging, yeah. whether it's from the media about being perfect. And if you don't do this or look this way, then you'll never be enough. And that gets drilled into our heads from a young age. But I'd also, I'd like for you to talk about your beliefs on this and then also just how perfect it is that you found the sport that you have because you're making mistakes all day long. You're not nailing the jump at 99 times yeah. out of a hundred, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's uh, making mistakes is literally like the best way to learn, right? It's experience. You have to make mistakes and they're coming anyway. So you might as well just get ready for them, expect them. I think that's a big thing. You need to expect mistakes. You need to expect problems. Yes. Yeah, I, I heard this the other day and it blew my mind, but it was so simple. It's like one of the major problems that people have with perspective on life and stuff is that they expect it to never, to never have a problem. Yeah. That doesn't work. There's always a problem. And uh-huh. once you get rid of one problem, there's probably, it's preparing you for the next one coming up. So as you go through life, those problems become more and more advanced, but you grew out of them. You should have learned from them. And then you, that problem that's coming, you kind of have an idea how to get through it. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's this constant, you know, mistake, problem, solve, mistake, problem, forgive, mistake, problem, uh, <laughs> advance, you know, like you have to, that's, that's what it is. It's this big cycle. But yeah, I think not being afraid to make a mistake, that's what I was. I was the epitome of that growing up. I, I, I made sure that people wouldn't even ever have to be looking down at me because I made a mistake. I would feel so terrible if I, if I made somebody mad or if I disappointed somebody. So I try to be perfect, a perfect kid growing up. And I realized like at some point I was never happy. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, you're trying to be perfect and everybody loves you, but you are not happy. Mm-hmm. So that's like, okay, you can't satisfy everybody, right? That was one thing that came out of that. <laughs> but yeah, being expect mistakes, expect problems, and then, you know, do your best to overcome them. And one thing is that if there's a problem out there, you're not the only one going through it. And there's probably been a million people to make it out. So just find one person and get some advice. You know, it's mentorship again. Dude, that, that alone right there, man, is something that I wish I heard <laughs> when I was a teenager is, is that you're not the only one to ever go through yeah. this problem that you have right here. Because I remember internalizing so many of my problems. I had an experience when I was mm-hmm. a 16-year-old. I was in my first relationship where I was in love. I thought I had found my future wife. And we, I don't even know what we argued about. I don't even know what the conversation was. But she was, she was mad at me, wouldn't answer my phone calls. And I experienced that you know, testosterone driven rage of just, she won't answer my calls. And I punched a hole in my wall and I was just Mm -hmm. inconsolable. And my parents were they looked scared. They looked Mm -hmm. scared. They looked like they had fear on their face. And so immediately that told me, Ooh, I can't be this here. This isn't okay. This hurts people. This makes people afraid. And so that was the moment that I started to internalize so much of what I was feeling. And I did exactly the opposite of what you said. I did exactly the opposite because I, I wouldn't let anybody know what was going on internally. So my internal yeah. climate was like a stage category five hurricane a lot of the time. And I was smiling on the outside because I wanted to make everybody happy and just look the other way. And you know, that's what it comes out to like self-control, right? Self-control of your, your emotions are, I think the un, once you understand what emotions are, right? Like your emotions, it seems to be in different definitions of that, but it, in emotion is your body's response to the current situation, right? It doesn't have to be your, your mental response. You can feel the emotion come through. I mean, I, I had an anger issue growing up because of the divorce and stuff and things that I saw. So, yeah, I punched a hole in the wall and I, I kicked a, a hole into, the, into my sofa one time. You know, we have these anger, this anger, man, when you're coming up, especially as a boy, right? Like you're saying when you're younger and stuff, you have an anger, you're quick to anger, you have testosterone and stuff, you're changing and things. So, yeah, you know, I've done that too. And, and it was, it is, it's painful to those around you. It's painful to the people that you love. It's not helpful. It became to me a, a mission to, to feel the emotion, but not be the emotion, mm-hmm. to, to feel it out and, and feel, you know, cause it's like a wave, right? It comes, emotion comes and they go, they come and they go. Tomorrow, it's a whole different day. You know, that emotion has been gone for a bit. So yeah, I, I remember feeling anger. I feel it coming through. You literally feel it through your, your veins, right? Like the blood, you feel the heat coming up and that, that's all hormonal, right? This, mm-hmm. this adrenaline and stuff. And if you act on it, you do things that you're probably going to regret and that's not good either, right? Mm-hmm. So getting control of that anger, that's, that's taking responsibility. That's a discipline. That's a practice. You have to practice those things. I think people get discouraged when they say, hey, you got to control your emotions. And they're like, well, it's almost impossible. Well, it's like anything else. You have to practice. You have to slowly get control. And then one day... It's nothing, you know, you can get angry for something. You're like, and two seconds later, you're just like, "Eh, whatever, you know? So you like, just blow it off. You learn to get control and realize like these things that you don't have to respond to anger. And and that's where I think, and that's really brilliant that you said that. Cause I think that's where a lot of the incompletion is when it comes to parenting or even mentoring, let's just use the word mentoring. So it takes the parental relationship out of it is that we often in our society, we, we tell younger people the result that we want without making space to show them the way. Because everybody talks about a good coach, that, that, that one teacher they had that took the extra time to help them understand the way. And not to just give them the answer, but to be with the younger person while they figured it out for themselves. That's, that's a rarity when it comes to mentorship these days. And fortunately, more people like yourself and other folks who, who had that recognize the importance of it. So we're giving back to this next generation. But 
I noticed my, myself even it's because it's way more convenient just to tell a younger person the results you want without having the patience to slow down and meet them where they're at. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking right now. It's like, it takes a patience. It does. It takes a patience. They're going to mess up again. You know, it takes time. You have some of these characteristics and these traits that we have, man, they've been inbred in the subconsciously for like the first four or five years of our life. And then consciously, you know, after that, you know, it's, it's hard to break some of those things, but it can be done. You have to be patient with yourself. Your coach has to be patient with you. I mean, all it takes is one thing for your mentor or your coach or someone you look up to to say something. And then your image of them is completely no longer valid. You don't respect it anymore. So they have to be really careful. They have to be really patient. They have to understand that perfection is not possible. And that's what it takes. You know, those are things. And I've made those mistakes too. You know, I've made those mistakes where I, I, I try to get perfection out of a student sooner or something like that. And it just pushed them away. So those are things that you got to learn from. My, uh, again, giving my chance, myself, an opportunity to make a mistake, but learn from it. That way I, those coming in, they don't have to go through that. Yeah. Yeah. And go back to that theme of accepting responsibility. Uh, I mm-hmm. think both on uh, as the mentor and the mentee is such an important uh, such an important quality of that relationship, especially as the mentor to admit when we've gone too far, to admit when, hey, what I said there was out of line, what I, I was holding you to a standard that was unreasonable. And that's all me. Just to, to, for a child to see an adult or a younger person to see an older person admit that is life changing. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. It's necessary. You know, and what it does is it prevents to me, like I have this view on pride. There's two prides like, okay, hey, I'm proud of you for graduating high school, right? Or the other pride where I'm too proud to take advice from someone younger than me. So one is very good and one is very destructive, right? Because then, then you don't take advice and then like, okay, so if you don't take advice, how could you give advice and why would you take advice from you, right? Mm. So like for me, that's really important because my younger brother is one of the guys who really influenced my life. He gave me a ton of advice. He made steps sooner than I did in life that were, you know, he took responsibility sooner. And then he started telling me that and showing me that and he was the only person that could really affect me that way. And it took courage for him to do that, you know, because we grew up together. He's a year younger than me and we fought and I would beat him up and all kinds of stuff. You know, we had the best brother relationship, but he was, he had a courage enough to give me advice. And I submitted to that because he was right. You know, that's a big part of growth, a huge part of growth. Yeah. Yeah. Then the giving up or surrendering the need to be right, man, especially if you yeah. want to survive a relationship. I haven't even, are you, are you <laughs> single? Are you married? Single, are you right, now. single, single, single right now. Single right now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, as a married man, that's one of the most important things is <laughs> surrendering <laughs> the importance, the need to be, to be right. Cause that, that also, that's a very childish mm. quality. You know, is, children want to be right. Cause that's how yeah. they find value and meaning and significance in the world. Yeah. Significance is a huge word. I know I was going to uh, listening to Tony Robbins a lot and, you know, and going to some of his events and stuff and he uses the word significance a lot. And it is, you know, we, we do things so that we can keep that significance, that image of, of significance that others have of us. We want to have that high standard and yeah, it's a big one. So just determining really what your max, what you really want to put out into the world is really important. Who are you? Is that what you really want to put out? I listened to a book a lot. It's Man's Search for Meaning, uh, Victor Frank, Frank, Frankl. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, like, whatever you're going to do, let's say you're going to take an action, right? And, and you don't want to take them out of emotion. You don't want to take them out of emotion. You want to wait till emotion settles before you, you take, like, a serious action or something. But he says, and I'm, this is just paraphrasing, but he says, if you're about to do something, look at your life like you did do that and look at look at the result if that's not what you want then don't do it so in other words mm. get out of yourself right now look at yourself from the future looking back at this moment and say hey should i have done that 
If the answer is no, then don't do it. Because yeah. <laughs> that's what it is. Look in the big picture. You know, there's tomorrow. There's, there's the next moment. And you have to really appreciate this idea that we have such a, an advanced mind that we can go out of this moment look back at it and say, hey, is that the decision I want to make? And not go through it if it's not right. Yeah. And I mean, that's like an advanced black belt maneuver. That's not something you just switch on because Abel told you about it on the Rising Man podcast. That's like uh, uh, it's like learning how to scale a 15-foot wall or doing those, you know, those bar <laughs> jumps that you do. Yes, I have a ladder. Uh, I love obstacles, man. I, I, I saw life as an obstacle. Every time something happened, I was talking to you about this earlier. It's like every time I saw something come up that was like, okay, this is – this is not comfortable. This is a problem. I'm very upset about this or this. How, why am I going through this? That was a big one. Like, why am I, why do I have to go through this? You know? And I was thinking, yeah. I was like, it's okay. It's okay. Cause I'm looking at the big picture. It's, <laughs> you can, you can overcome it. You've overcome a lot already. You can overcome it. And it's just going to be another chapter in the book. And you're going to tell this story to thousands of people. That's okay. So just do it. Overcome it. Whatever it mm. takes. Okay. So that's me talking to myself at that <laughs> moment so that I can be here right now talking to you about it later on. Which is That's crazy, it, man. You know? Yeah, but it was it was just a deeper thinking, you know. And I I used to drive around a lot. I used to wonder. I used to do a lot of road trips by myself, solo road trips and stuff. And I always wondered, like, why do I like being by myself on the road and stuff? Because it's I was always like thinking, 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 thinking. If I was always thinking, or am I not thinking? Am I just chilling? Right? Because driving is kind of like this just consistent thing where you're just going blind, blind, blind. And do you really have to think? No, you just have to observe. So that's kind of like a form of meditation, like an active meditation. And I, and I realized like meditation was one thing that if I could go back into my life, I would try to start sooner, way sooner. That would have been one. Really try to understand it, have the patience for it. I, really, I wish I would have started that meditation practice or really what, realizing what it is and the benefits of it and believing it, right? Attempting it, giving it mm-hmm. my, my best effort, you know, 10, 10 years sooner than I did, because that is a, such a huge, huge tool that you can use to, to really see big picture stuff, right? These things that are going yeah. on now. Yeah, I like what you mentioned there because I I went through when I first discovered meditation I was 21 years old and it was it was very way sooner typical than me, just so you know way sooner well than well then and hear the story so then it was the kind of the typical you know sitting in posture and you know mm-hmm. focusing on your breath different mudras and all that stuff but I realized that for me the most powerful form of meditation was when I was using my body and just being very deliberate and intentional with my actions. Cause I've always yeah. been an athlete myself too. Mm-hmm. Um, and carrying that into the martial arts. And now even when I'm doing my morning rituals, which is taking care of my kids and feeding them and packing lunches, that's even like a form of meditation. Yeah. So for me, I have this different definition where it's how can I train my attention and be present with how I'm making choices in the moment? Cause that's, that's what, ultimately serves me later on when things come up and my emotions want to take, you know, take the steering wheel and drive my ship. Yeah, definitely. And meditation, you know, they have like dynamic and active and, or you have the one, the traditional where you are sitting down, you know, cross-legged and stuff and very yoga-like, but you will find one that works for you. Well, once you Mm -hmm. find meditation, what happens is it's it's practice. It literally is a practice. So again, if you're going to be a professional baseball player, you have to practice. You got to practice for a long time, right? You're going to be a great meditation you know, meditator, you got to practice. And then one day you can do it with your eyes closed, right? Like I'm just saying that like, oh yeah, yeah, I can do a lot of these obstacles in my gym with my eyes closed. So that practice, I practice, 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 practice. And then now, and I tell the students that I'm like, look, I can do this in one move, right? This, this whole thing. And they can't, they can't beat it. And I'm like, all right, I did one move. And then I go and I do it. And they're like, you know, they're all shocked about like how good I can do these obstacles and stuff. I'm like, well, I've done it so many times. I'm in the moment. It's, it's nothing now. So I can literally feel like you know that's why i like when we talk about Bruce Lee because he was he was an incredible individual incredible athlete and he knew he had he had a deep understanding of the world right and the way it works and stuff 
But I literally feel like when I'm doing some of these obstacles that gravity is no longer doesn't mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. I'm just so fluid and, and flowing through this stuff. The more I train, the less I feel, the less I feel the gravity. So that's why yeah. I just got to train, man. It's really cool. And, and I'm sure a lot of that mindset, your your training regimen or, or, or methodology is woven into what you teach at your academy. So I'm, I'm just looking at you across the screen. I see Axios Warrior Academy. Yeah. It looks like it says building warriors. Is that the, is is, that the tagline yeah. at the bottom there? Awesome. Yeah. That's beautiful, that's cool. man. I, I love that because I love the word warrior. And I've actually had some people challenge me on using the word warrior. Usually veterans who, who say, mm-hmm. hey, listen, you don't know anything about war. And I say, you know, and, and it opens up a very interesting dialogue. So what is your definition of warrior and the way that you use it with your academy and your training? Yeah, so this idea of being a warrior, it, it's, I like the traditional ideas of, of what it was to be a man and for your society and your community. It wasn't for you, it was for them. It was always for somebody else, right? So a warrior is an individual that first they take responsibility, right? And they also make, they make, they do whatever they can to themselves, whether that's personal growth or take care of their health. So they have a positive impact on, on the future generations coming, right? Like children and things. But also they have the ability to protect. They have the ability to stand up for what they believe in and, you know, protect their culture, their people from outside intruders or something like that. You needed, every culture had a warrior. They had some type of warrior type that was going to be there to defend, protect, right? And they served. They did. You know, like police officers today, those are warriors like today. Those are like that's an example right they're they're there to serve and protect you know it's the same thing you're there to serve and protect now that's really hard to to kind of mimic in today's world where things are very easy they're very easy now i mean it's very convenient we have wi-fi we have fast food we have drive-throughs i mean supermarkets you know before if you were going to eat you know you had to work for hours before you could get get a good meal right you know you had you had hunters and things so we have things very easy so it's hard to 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 have someone even be challenged to see if they're a warrior or not you know these obstacles that we have here at our gym they go after them and they're going to get beat they're not going to beat the obstacle they're going to get beat up they're going to get tired they're going to feel like what it's like to be tired from your muscles your muscles you can't contract your hands anymore but they have to get back up they have to get back up they have to train again they have to realize they have to accept that defeat practice learn from it and then do it again you know, that's, that's what a warrior is. They, they get up, they, they, they stand up, they do it for themselves and they do it for the people that they love, the people that they care about. So yeah, so they, they're in some type of fight. They're, they're in some type of internal fight. That's the biggest one, right? That's the first one. You gotta, you gotta get outside of yourself first. But yeah, I think I'm building warriors because, and I, it's almost the same reason why you're teaching masculinity because we don't have a lot of warriors. Mm-hmm. We, we, America needs, you know, this, this rising man. They need men to step up. They need men to, to realize like, we have to get certain things under control. They're a little, the perspective is uh, it's kind of wacky when you're talking about politics or the way schools are run or something like that. Uh, this is an academy and, we, and I'm the one in charge, right? I'm teaching them that this is what you do to become a warrior, to be who you want to be in life. You may not want to be an American warrior. You may want to be a, a mayor. You may want to be, a, you know, we have border patrol down here. Whatever it is, you want to be a lawyer. You're going to have to go and fight some internal battles and then you're going to have to t- fight some external battles. But if you're a warrior, you're going to stick to it and you're going to make it happen. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and every culture needs that. Every culture needs that. Yeah. And, and every warrior has an adversary, you know, even thinking in the traditional historical sense. My, my dad's family's from Japan. So I was always had an affinity for the samurai culture and, mm-hmm. um, you know, just the, the mentality of a warrior from those times is very applicable today. Fortunately, most of us, many of us don't have to go to physical combat to access some of that warriorship. Yeah. Uh, but the same, the same elements apply because I think that part of being a warrior is just having overcoming adversity 
encountering adversity and then being committed to overcome it. So words like mistakes and yeah, I'm interested in, in your yeah. interpretation of the word failure because you said yeah. that's one word we haven't talked about yet. What, what, do you, what are your beliefs about failure? Failure. So expect to fail. You know, you're, no one's perfect. No one, no Olympian went in there and said, hey, I'm going to be Olympian and then went into the Olympics and then became an Olympian, right? They, uh-huh. they spent decades, you know, training 10, 14 years, you know, and the first day they went in there, they were not, they were not Olympic caliber. So like you, you're going to have to train, you're going to have to go through the steps and then one day you'll be that, right? But yeah, your failure is, I see these different definitions of the word failure. And one of the ones that I like is like, failure is not a person, it's an event. So just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. It means that this attempt was not a success. So what did you learn from it? That's always the first thing I ask somebody, my students or my friends, it's like, hey, they, they, they just went through a course and they didn't make it. They're upset, they're emotional. And I try to snap them out of it and I say, hey, it happens, man. We all fail. We've all fallen, especially in my sport. In American Ninja Warrior, every single individual fails at some point, always. We've only had, you know, in what's it, 11 years. We've had 11 years of competitors. That's thousands of people, maybe 20,000 people. And only like three have gone at one point where they didn't fail. But before then, everybody failed. And even they have failed too at some point. They had to come back and learn and then they were successful, right? So the failure rate in, in our sport is, is 100%. It's really crazy, but it's what it is, right? Mm. You look at it from the outside like that. So you're going to fail. You have to learn. You got to do it. Just realize you're not your failure. You can learn from that and come back. And, and eventually you are. If you step up from that and you learn from it and you take everything that was given to you and you, you take advice, you have the right mentors, you're going to eventually succeed at that point where you fail. But, but you weren't, yeah. you're not a failure, though. Just keep that really clear. Separate that from it's an event. It's, it's something that happens, but expect it at some point. And then you can come back from it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Are you, are you into mixed martial arts at all? Do you follow that sport yeah, at, at all? Okay, I cool. I do. Yeah. Okay. I was going to so, say something um, about that too really quick. Actually. Okay, cool. Well, let, let me just mention this and then I'll hear what you have to say because I'm just thinking about our social, our societal relationship with perfection and how guys like Floyd Mayweather, who's 50 and 0, how, how revered he is for having that kind of record. And, and the John Joneses of the world, the guys who haven't been beaten, haven't been defeated, Obviously, there's a natural mystique for that because it the, you don't you don't just be a, a professional at the top of your sport and be undefeated because you you know wished it to be that way. Yeah, obviously, there's hard work behind it, but that's not what's highlighted. That's not what most people see, especially the young impressionable minds. They're like, "Whoa, he's undefeated. That's a thing. You can you can walk through this and never lose and never encounter failure or yeah. defeat." And then I look at the guys like the Jorge Masvidal's and the guys who are like you know, who have been defeated a lot of times, but keep coming back and yet they stay at the top of their game. And to where I'm at in my life, I'm like, those are the guys like, what did you do? What did you do when you got defeated and knocked out? You know? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny because some of these guys that are undefeated and stuff like that, you know, they've lost, they've lost in training, man. They, they've lost there. They felt it. They felt what it was like to lose. And then they just really hated it. You know, it was like, never am I going to lose again. You know? (laughs) And it's true because I was like that. That happened to me one time and I was like, you know what? I'm never losing the fight again. That's it. So it's like they trained for it. Yeah. But they, those failures for these guys, you know, these, these losses that they, they have had them. But since on, on the professional record, you know, they, they've come through. They, they mm-hmm. put in the work. They came through. They, they stood their ground. They were patient. They were calm in the, in the moment. And they won all their fights, you know. Impressive. Really great. It happens every once in a while in our sport, too, where you go and you, go and you beat every course and you hit the buzzer and you win. If you do win, you get a million dollars, right? Not like you may whether you get millions and millions. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it's really easy. And I talk about this a lot. There is a process. There's a process to be successful because people have done it. You can do it. 
You can literally go talk to them and they'll tell you what they did. Now go do what they did now and then put your own flair in it, your own style. You're going to automatically do that anyway, just because you're a different individual with different experiences. And then if you can do it better than them, that's when you, that's when you're really, you're really going to shine. Right. So I told my students, look, look guys, I'm going to tell you exactly everything I did. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to beat me, you have to do all that. I, what I said better <laughs> than me and you'll be. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, man. That's the, that's the thing with this culture too, is there's, there's no replacement for experience. There's no yeah. replacement for time and energy, the, the blood, sweat, and tears that get put in the gym, whether that's in like physically in the gym or in the mental gym, doing your mental repetitions. And so uh, that's, that's what I really needed to hear as a younger person was, hey, buckle up your seatbelt, man. It's going to be a long ride and it'll be enjoyable if you don't make it about the end result. You just make it about the hard work you're putting in today yeah. right in front of you. Yeah, that, that's what happened with me because, you know, I, when it came to the show, I came out of nowhere. So like supposedly, oh man, rookie of the year, he, he was a walk-on, he, he applied for the show, he didn't get called, he shows up and he hits buzzer, he hits buzzer, he hits buzzer, he makes history. And they're like, so man, this guy came out of nowhere. And I'm like, yeah, well, but y'all don't know that I trained for eight years by myself in my front yard lifting, trying to perfect every single lift that I was doing. And I was trying to make it stronger, one more rep every, every week or goal of five pounds every month. And, and at one point, you know, that's all I was doing. Every workout was trying to make sure that my previous workout, that I was doing better than my previous workout, that I was going to work out. But I was doing that three times a week for six years. Man, those numbers add up. And at some point, you're world-class elite. And that's what yeah. happened. I, I was just making sure that I was going to be consistently getting better. And then one day when I finally go do the test, I pass it with flying colors. And now mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a regular on American Dream. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Uh, they got they got to show that behind the scenes stuff. And I, and I like that you do that, too. I like that you make sure you show that mm-hmm. because – Otherwise, we keep perpetuating this this false illusion yeah. that you can just have this, or, or some people are just born that way. Yeah, no. there's no there's no hard work behind the scenes, you know, so, behind the curtains. <laughs> yeah, I have I have these three hour workouts sometimes, and sometimes they're 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 fun looking, right? But the ones that are the the most beneficial are the ones where I'm just there doing what appears to be boring repetitions of this and this exercise and that exercise and this movement and this pause and this hold. I'm doing these for three hours, you know, two three times a week. Those are the ones that give me give me the progress, but they're not flashy. You know, they're, they're the right. basics, but super strong. Okay, I can do a step up, you know, or a lunge with 140 pounds or, or 80 pounds in each hand and stuff. You know, just things like that. But the, then I'll do some flashy stuff to keep their interest, right? Because it's true, it's fun. <laughs> the flashy yeah. stuff's fun. But even when I'm doing the flashy stuff, if I fall or if I have a cool, uh, you know, if I make a cool mistake, you know, I'm going to show it anyway. You got to show it because if you're just constantly showing perfection, you're setting everybody up for failure. That's not cool. You gotta show yeah, it takes work. It takes work. They gotta cut in those videos. Those videos where you're like scaling the crazy wall or doing the flips or whatever you guys do. You gotta like cut in every few seconds. Show like the the really precise movements that you're doing for three hours. And they'll be like, "What yeah. is this?" And then you yeah. show the crazy move. You're like, "That's yeah. what it was." <laughs> yeah, I, I I literally I enjoy making edits. I, I really am a, a fan of, of YouTube. We, me and my brother started the YouTube channel a long time ago, and it, it became very successful. My little brothers they they continued. I ended up backing out of it, but they continued, and it became very successful. But we have a skill of and we enjoy of telling stories through through video right so we were really mm-hmm. on youtube back in the day when it first started and i do videos nowadays and i post them to my instagram and share them to facebook and try to i'm going to start working on, on making my own youtube channel uh, very specific but i have those edits where look this movement right here i did this movement 30 times i did it with this weight then this weight then this weight i had this amount of break so very specific this was the rest this was the thing this was the goal and it's all like okay i'm, I'm sure somebody reading is like it's kind of boring you know this guy's just numbers right and then I go out and I say this, but this training made me do this. And then I'll go and do like a 361, a 12 foot 360 flying squirrel catch, which is uh-huh. really, really difficult. But I'll do it. I said, 
is because of that exercise. You know, that's why, that's why, that's what happens, you know, trying to make that connection so they can see that the work is there. I put in the work Mm -hmm. and then I get the result. Yeah, man. And and there, you know what, there's, uh, there may be more than one, but you know, there's at least that one kid out there who you don't know about who's watched every one of your videos. And as soon as he watches one, he goes out there and he's doing the 30 reps and he's setting his clock and taking exactly as much rest as you said. Have you, have you encountered any of those young yeah. people who have like, oh, man. yeah. I'm, I'm really surprised at some of the people that, because you know, I teach across the, the country and stuff. I get invited to places to, to be special guests and teach. And some kids will literally walk to me and they'll start telling me all the details and facts of my runs and my performances and mine. I'm like, Dude, I had already forgot about that. You know more about my performances than I even remember. So that's impressive. Yeah, so kids are like that. It's a great sport. It really easy. It's really easy to connect to. Anybody can watch it. Uh, I'm really hyped on it. It's just, it's. I'm glad it's part of. You know, I'm part of. It's part of my life. But I, uh, I can't can't think of any other sport. For me, right now at this moment, it's just it's just perfect. Well, that's awesome, man. And, and I, but before, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk a bit more about your your earlier story you know maybe it's a little bit out of sequence here but obviously what led you to your commitment to physicality was the diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis or ra at a young age what age were you when that came upon so i was diagnosed officially when i was 23 but the okay. symptoms started when i was 20 so it happened it was kind Which of is crazy that's crazy yeah. the people it, who don't it, know it, about that you got to tell them about it yeah, so rheumatoid arthritis, yeah, it's an autoimmune disease, right, where your body's attacking itself and it's literally deteriorating your joints. At some point, it goes down to the bones. It's getting rid of the soft tissue. It's really a unique disease because what happens is, for me, and this is the way I explain it to people because this is the way I feel it. This is what happens to me. It started as a slow pain in my knees, right, the bigger joint, and it was a dull pain, but it just kept going. And at some point it was always there. It was just always there. It used to happen only when I was cold or it was cold outside. And then it just consistently, it was very consistent after that. And I was a provider to my brothers. I had just got legal custody of my brothers and I was 20 years old when I got that. So I was working and I'm like, dude, this is really painful, but I have to work. So then I just started taking over-the-counter painkillers and I took those for three years. I was over, over-the-counter painkillers for three years. It was, it was a daily ritual. It was you know, four, four in the morning and four at night. Cause if I knew that if I didn't take them, you know, in two or three days, I couldn't open my hands anymore. And, and then like after four days, I couldn't walk. I just couldn't do it. It was too painful. And it's weird. Like, you know, you have a pain in your hands, right? And I'm looking, I always look at my hands cause it just, the connection is there. But I, if I don't eat healthy, if I overtrain, if I do something, if you know, if I'm not careful with my body for, for a few days, by the third day, I can sit there and tell my hand to open and it won't do it. It won't mm. open because it knows it'll hurt too much. It'll hurt. It's an extreme pain. So it, what it is, is it's almost like an active paralyzation. My hand won't open. So I know, you know, I know that I, I need to get back on it. I need to be healthy. I need to get back on my routines because if not, then I won't be able to open my hands, you know, both hands in, in four days. And then by the sixth or seventh day, my knees will hurt so much that I can't walk. And that's, that's when you're not productive. Like, how are you going to be a provider? How are you going to be there for the people you love if you, don't, if you can't walk, if you can't? So, yeah, it was really crazy. I, yeah. I, I overcame it, though, by I studied. I studied this illness. I, I read everything I could. I asked a lot of questions to anybody I could find. Back then, it was on MySpace. It was really, you know, MySpace, the time. You know, yeah. Where, yeah, it was MySpace. So I'm literally messaging people and trying to find out if anybody has rheumatoid arthritis, if anything worked. Whatever it is, tell me now, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to study, study, study. I'm going to apply, apply, apply. I cannot lose my movement. I'm a provider. I have sport. I love sport. It's what got me through all those traumatic events. I got to, I, I'm not going to stop playing football, you know, and I'm not going to stop exercising. So I need to find a way to get rid of this. And they're like, well, it's not possible. I'm like, well, then I'm still going to find a way. It is mm-hmm. possible. I'm going to find it. If I find one person who's slowed it down or who's reversed it or stopped it, then I can do it. 
And I found them. I found like two or three people, man. And they're very, wow. really crazy. And I just took all their advice and did everything I could. You know? Amazing, man. Amazing. And I, I love those, time, those kinds of stories, especially as a young person. I had a back injury when I was 12 years old, you know, without going into the details, a similar type of situation where it's like, wow, this can't be the rest of my life. I got to find another way out. And doctors weren't helping me. You know, the people that you're supposed to trust that are supposed to have the answers weren't be able to provide them. So I had to figure it out. And I, I didn't have a choice. And that's, that's usually when we get thrust into those situations. It's, well, there's either accept it and let that be the, your circumstances forever or choose not to accept it and do something about it. And so I imagine you probably still had days where you just oh man, this is just so much. How can I possibly get through this? What am I, you know, what am I going to do? Yeah, I, you know, I, I look back at that and people ask me about this. Like, dude, how did you do this? How did you do that momentum? How did you stay inspired? And it's like, well, for me, if I can't move, then I was dead. It was death. Like I, that, to me, movement was so important. You know, it was so important to be able to move, to work, to, to play football and to train. Like those things were my meditations. You know, training to me is a meditation. If I don't train, you know, if I go four or five days without training, I start to feel off. You know, it's like, no, this is not right. I got to go. I got to go train. So, yeah, so it was a meditation. So for me, if, if I lost my ability to move, which I was losing, it was really bad, then, I, then why would I be alive? You know, why would I, mm. I want to be here? But yeah, just to go back to just this masculinity thing really quick, because there was an aspect of it that, you know, I, I shouldn't have waited so long. I shouldn't have waited three years to go to the doctor, mm. you know, and I did that because, yeah, well, well, I'm overcome it. Yeah, I'm a, it's whatever. It's just a little bit of pain, you know, just to pick up and go back to work. You know, I was, you know, I, we can't go to the doctor. Most men, yo, I can't go to the doctor, or doctor whatever. I'll just overcome <laughs> it. You know, it'll, it'll be over in a couple of days. You know, I, I, and then I ended up covering that up. So I did that and then I covered it up with the painkiller. So I didn't actually feel the pain. And then one day I'm at home. And I had my shorts on and I'm tying my shoes and I, and I, for some reason, actually look at my knee, not just take it for granted that it's there, but I look at it and it freaks me out. Like, this is not, not right. There's something seriously wrong here. This is not like my knee. This is not my knee I grew up with. This is not the knee that I played football with. This knee used to be super strong. That does not look strong. That looks like it's going to break right now. And, and I was even wearing like, like uh, braces on my knees at one point so I could keep on playing football. So I was just dedicated to playing, but I was destroying my body, like visual damage. And then I freaked out. It was so it was so crazy because I looked at my knee. I'm like, wait, what the heck? What's going on here? And I and I and I said, wait a minute. And I looked at the other one really fast. So I'm like, I'm in panic mode. I look at the mm -hmm. other one really fast, and it's the same thing. I'm like, oh my god, what did you do, Abel? Like, what did you do? Yeah. You know. So so I was freaking out, and I went to the doctor the next day. I literally set up the phone and went to the doctor the next day. And the damage was visual. Like, you know, there's no no denying it. You know, there was no denying. It. And he's like, dude, you got rheumatoid arthritis. You you have seven years left. About seven years left of movement. After that, you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life. This is an incurable autoimmune disease. We can't even help you. This was a long time ago, so they didn't have like prescriptions. I think sure. like the first medication for rheumatoid arthritis came out like the next year. But I mm -hmm. was like, he's like, there's nothing we can do. You know, you're 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 going to be in a wheelchair, man, and it's not going to be nice. Even though you have seven years of movement, I mean, that seven years is going to be pain. You're going to have pain for the rest of your life. You know, that's just the way it is. He's, he's, he just gave me a prescription to a, for a larger, you know, stronger pain medication. And he said, you know, that's, that's it. So I'm, he's like, he literally said, we can't help you. I can't help you, you know? And I'm mm -hmm. like, okay. So I go to my car. I have the prescription. I go to my car. I just say this. I just like, I'm like, they can't help me. That's okay. I'm not coming back then. There's no point in coming back. So, I, and I said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to find a way. I'm going to do this. That's not going to happen to me. So I crumple the prescription and I throw it away. I never even get the medication. And mm -hmm. I just start reading, man, start studying. And then I, I changed everything, everything from the type of water I drink to my mentality. I couldn't think that rheumatoid, I couldn't even think that I had rheumatoid arthritis because if I think I have rheumatoid arthritis and that it's an incurable autoimmune disease, 
I'm trying to fight this battle. My body believes that it's not going to happen. So yeah. I had to convince myself that this is not that. This is not an incurable autoimmune disease and I can overcome it and we're going to do it. Watch. And the first thing I did was I, in my mind, I literally just convinced myself that this was some type of allergic reaction. Why is my body attacking itself? It's confused. It's confused. Something's confusing it. Something's causing this reaction. Find out what that is. So I had a complete over, overhaul of my entire nutrition, my, everything that was in my life, all kinds of things. Man, it's, it's crazy, but it worked. It really worked, by the way. I think like That's four amazing, or five man. months, yeah, I got rid of the pain. That's incredible, man. That's incredible, man. It's such, a, such an amazing testament to discipline and commitment. You yeah, know, to figure yeah. to figure it out when, especially when you're backed up against. Hey, if you don't do any of that, there's a wheelchair waiting at the finish line mm -hmm. seven years down the road. So it's this, the circumstances aren't always so dire, but the the formula is still the same. It's it's deciding mm -hmm. that we want to make a change. It's deciding that we are going to take matters into our own hands and and figure something out and not rest until we find a solution to it. Yeah, yeah. So that's taking responsibility, right? Like just taking responsibility for this. You know, rheumatoid arthritis. I didn't have it as a kid. But I was doing something in my life that made it come, right? Just this response to whatever I was doing. So, of course, I was not eating healthy. I was eating a lot of fast food and stuff like that. And so, so for me, it was like, okay, take responsibility. You have to do this for yourself, right? Because you want to have a great life. You, don't, you, have a, uh, you have a lot to do. Basically, what it was. You, you're not done. You, you're raising your brothers. You're, you're provided for them. And you want to you wanna become a world-class athlete. So how are you going to do that if you have room to try So you have to step up. You have to study. You have to read. I mean, I would read till three, four in the morning, you know, and it was easy. It was easy to find an article. I just became addicted to health and nutrition, whatever it was. And I would, I would, I would read till three to four in the morning. And I'm like, you know, it was easy for me because I'm trying to save my life. You know, right. if you're studying for a test that you could get an 80 on and you're going to be fine and stuff, you're not going to study for seven days in a row for three till three, four in the morning. You're not, you know, because it's just not the high stakes. For me, it was life and death pretty much. So I said, I'm right. gonna yeah, and you got to figure out what that thing is. You know, I, I talk about raising the stakes and finding leverage on yourself. Because if there's not leverage in your life, if you're not a father who's providing for a family, if you're not a husband who's taking care of a wife or a guardian or protector, like you became with your brothers, then it, it's easy. It's like, well, why would I bother? Why would I bother putting in so much effort? You got to almost create stakes for yourself. Otherwise, it, it's exactly like you said. You're only going to put in as much effort as necessary to achieve the the result that you have to. Yeah. You know, just the, the passing grade just to get by. And that's that's ordinary. So if you want an ordinary life, then ordinary action is all you need. Yeah. Right. I like the word that Tony Robbins uses. He uses the word standards. You know, what are your standards for your life? Do you have high standards? Do you have mediocre standards? Do you have uh, normal? Are you okay with normal standards? Like, you know, it's like, for me, it's like there there's normal, right? But I don't want to be normal. I want to be so out there that I'm the exception. Well, I can teach you how to become the exception. You know, it's not just me. Like, I don't have good genetics. You know, I don't think I have very good genetics. I, I, my father was athletic. Yeah. But if I were to just get out of hand and just eat whatever I wanted for three, four days, you would see it on me. You would see it. I would get, I would get fat right away. You know, all kinds of things. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think I have great genetics, you know. And, and I'm not like the tallest person. I'm not the, you know. So it's like, I, that's not a big deal. That's stuff that's outside of my control. But what I can control is I'm still going to become world class athlete. You watch. I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. Mindset, mindset, baby. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Cool. But before we start wrapping it up, I also you, you alluded to becoming the guardian of your of your three younger brothers. Is it three or two? Well, it was two. Yeah. We, so I do have three younger brothers, but me and my brother Matthew, who's a year younger than me, we decided that we were going to try to get custody of our two younger brothers and, and move them to Texas and raise them. Right. And you yeah. were in your early twenties, man. I mean, obviously, 
everything we've already learned about you in this conversation tells us so much about who you are, what you had to overcome and which, how you did that. But the question I was wondering myself, because I have a younger brother who had a daughter when he was 17 years old and I look at him and his life and what that, what his life has been like since then. I wonder if you feel like you missed out on anything, uh, missed out on any part of being a kid or the, the early 20s that most young men have because of the choice that you made. Yeah, so I, I do feel, I do feel like I had my childhood taken from me, you know, like the time of that I had to not be responsible was very, was cut short. But it wasn't because of my brothers. It was because of divorce. You know, it was because of my father, my father and my mother, they, they got divorced. And, you know, in that situation, that was really crazy because my mom, she abandoned us, right? So me and my brother, Matthew, the one right on, younger than me. And my dad ended up going to jail for doing, you know, things that weren't great. So right off the bat, they got divorced and then we lose both of our parents, you know. So that to me was the point where I, where I had to grow up really quick. You know, it wasn't very good home, things at home. Our family was not treating us well. They, they ended up sending us from Chicago to Texas where things were much more, much better. And the same thing was happening to them, to my younger brother. So, you know, like, okay, so I'm 17. It's actually when I decided to do it when I was 17. I felt like my childhood was cut short. And I feel like I'm making up for it on the obstacles or in my career choices that I'm doing now. You I was know? just I was thinking like, that, yeah. It's fun. And <laughs> in the I, playground I, all day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the gym is a big playground and I'm over here trying to teach. I'm teaching adults how to be kids again, you know, how to have fun. And, and my <laughs> students are, are there and, you know, they can't beat me. We have a lot of fun. We compete against each other. And I'm like some big kid. I'm always laughing and, and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm still still part of that, going back to that kid. But, you know, still keeping the same responsibilities. I got to run a business and all those things. Sure. Yeah, I think um, it, when, when I got my brothers, I decided I was, I was 17 when I decided that we were going to try to get custody. Uh, they were probably 12, maybe 11 and 12. They were younger than my brothers, uh, Eddie and Jacob. And I went and I asked my mom, I'm like, hey, Eddie and Jacob are not happy. They're obviously depressed. You can't take care of them. Let, let me and Matthew take care of them. And I had the ability to tell her that, you know, I told her, like, hey, you have a lot to do. You have a, she had already remarried and she had three more boys. Right? So she was wow. married and had three more boys. And then she was trying to take care of my two younger brothers. And then the two older brothers were already independent. You know, we were 17, 16. We already went through all that hard stuff with warriors. We want to take care of them. We want to get them off of your hands, bring them to Texas from Chicago and raise them there because it was great for us. It was great for me, Matthew. Let us do that. We'll do that. We'll take care of them too. And you take care of your three boys, your new three boys. Help them. Don't do the same mistakes. Don't, you know, be there for them. And we'll help. We'll do that. And I asked her when I was 17 and she said, you know, she, she said it. She said it right off the bat and it clicked. That's when it clicked. She's like, you're not responsible enough to take care of them. You're not mature enough to take care of them. You're 17. And that's when I saw it as a challenge. I'm like, all right, okay. You, you might be right. I think I am, but you might be right. So I'm going to do everything I can to prove to you that I can take care of these guys. That Eddie and Jacob should go to Texas. I'll raise them. I'll do everything to make sure that I'm, I'm mature enough and responsible enough to take care of them. So I did that. I, I even stayed there. I stayed there in Illinois. I, I stayed there and, I, and it took three years. You know? And then when I was 20 again, I had a great job. I graduated high school. I was the first one in my, my family to graduate high school. And I, I had a great job. I bought a new car and I said, hey, I want to take them to Texas. Can I take them? And she said, that's when she said, yeah. She's like, okay, wow. yeah, you can do it. You know, you and Matthew, you guys proven that you can do it. And we wrote up, a, you know, we wrote up some paperwork, some legal paperwork, had it notarized, and, and, I, and I took them, man. I took them within like a week. We moved to Texas. It was really crazy. I was 20. Wow, man. 20, yeah. Matthew was 19. Dude. You know, so we stepped up, man. We had to. We had to step up. It's cool because yeah, 
people can look them up. People can look up my brothers, Eddie and Jacob Gonzalez, and they have like YouTube. They're really big on YouTube and stuff. So they ended up doing what they wanted to do, you know. So we we they graduated high school. You know, that was a big deal. You know, we had, we had to get our we start graduating high school. So yeah, so that was a, it. Was a success. You know, it was it was something that we put in a lot of work, and it wasn't easy. They were we were in debt. You know, I was twenty years old. I had moved to Texas and didn't have a job yet. You know, you have to buy school clothes and you got to get them registered. So yeah, we got into debt. My brother, me and Matthew were having a tough time together trying to raise them. We were always fighting kind of like parents, right? We were, we were parents. Yeah, we were I was just saying, yeah. Yeah, at one point he's the, he's the masculine man. At one other point, I'm the masculine man. At one point he's the mom. At one point he's the nurturer and I'm the nurturer. So it's like this whole constant dynamic. And we ended up, you know, having our arguments and stuff of what we were going to do with our brothers, man. But we, I think we, we did well, you know, and then, after that, that's when I decided, okay, they were older. I'm like, all right, what do I want to I want to be, I want to find something, man. I want to find something great. I want to, I'm going to train. I've been training this whole time. I've been keeping up my athleticism. And then I saw that show. And that was it. And I, saw, I saw it when I was 27, 28. That was it, man. Uh, what, a, it. What, a, what an amazing story, man. I, I really, I really admire the way that you found your way out of your circumstances and, and not even out of, but leverage your circumstances into something more powerful. Because uh, I think that's I think that's something every one of us can do, regardless if if you're at the bottom or the top of the totem pole. It's not comfortable for anybody. Nothing about life is comfortable, and I really respect, especially having learned more about you in this in this interview here, just how you how you figured out your way, how you found your way, and that you're inspiring younger people to do the same. Man, we we need to keep multiplying guys like you and putting them out into the world. <laughs> yeah, it takes guys like us to talk about it. You're doing a great job too, man. That's why you know I hit you up. I, I like what you're doing, and, and congrats to you too on your success. And it, it's it's definitely needed. Me and you need to keep speaking up, and we need to let people know what's going on and try to see that big picture. And circumstances, man. Everybody's born into some type of circumstance. Everybody has their own obstacles to overcome. Everybody can do it. You know. And you asked me earlier about the word warrior, you know, and. I, I had the option in, in my gym to use the word ninja, right? Because we're ninjas in the show. It's American Ninja Warrior. So it's really catchy and everybody tends to use the word ninja. And when I was creating the company and the name and the vibe that I wanted to put out there, I said, well, not everybody can be a ninja. I went out there and, and I did my thing and I got a, ch a chance to be a ninja. But NBC, if they don't give you a chance and you don't get a chance, then you're never really going to be like an American Ninja Warrior. But you can be a warrior right now. You can make that decision. You can step up. You can do all those things. You know, the, 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 world, the country needs you, we need you, your family needs you to be a warrior. And you might not be a ninja, but you can be a warrior. And everybody can be overcoming your obstacles and growing. Awesome, man. I love that. I love your message. I love your vibe. I appreciate you being on here. Before I cut you loose, we got the quick lightning questions. And then uh, let everybody know where we can find you and support what you're doing. You ready for it? Sure, let's do this. All right, man. What, what is the one thing you wish you knew back when you were 18 that you've learned from your life? Definitely the practice of meditation. You know, it's one big thing. Mm. I think people should start meditating as soon as possible. It should be something maybe even taught in school at some point, you know, or, or it's really important. They're doing that now. They're yeah, doing that. They're I, teaching I, kids I, in school, man. It's awesome. I, it's true because you do have to slow the mind down. You have to slow it down and this world's way really, really fast. So the more you can slow it down, the, the better. Awesome. Awesome, man. And what do you think is the most important value to have as a man or as a human? I think when you accept responsibility, right, we're going to go back to that because if you accept responsibility for who you are, then you don't have to do it for somebody else. You know, you can actually team up. So it's like, do I, do I have the victim mentality and just live off of people or, or moods or off of the government? Or do I go on and I make my own thing, right? That's like the responsibility. So if you take responsibility and we teach that to Arab for it to be a cultural thing to take responsibility. I mean, you're only going to go up. There's no way you can go down when people start taking responsibility for, for their actions and for, for their own life, for their dreams, all that thing. If you take responsibility, you're going to get it 
and there'll be people right there next to you doing it too. Awesome, man. Beautiful, brother. How can people follow you, find you? Where do you want to send them to so they can track your story? Yeah, I'm really active on Instagram right now. They can follow me, Abel Gonzalez, A-B-E-L, then Gonzalez, G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-Z. I have a saying, we are all able. Uh, that's because for me, that that signifies that, hey, everybody's going to go through obstacles. If I came out of all those things that I came out of, you can come out of yours. We are all able. Uh, you can use that hashtag. You look it up and you'll see thousands of stuff on that. And uh, yeah, it's really easy to find me. Awesome, man. Yeah. If you got, if you guys don't follow Abel already, it's a beautiful combination of how you put your message out there, man. You got the right amount of like, uh, you know, shiny objects that gets people like, oh, I was even, I was on there for like 20 minutes. I'm like, wow, look at all the stuff this guy does. And then I was reading the captions and you're just saying really profound things, man, quoting some of your mentors. And Mm -hmm. again, man, I can't say enough about how much respect I have for what you're doing and hope to come visit you out there in in Texas at some point. And yeah, man, all, all the power to you, bro. I love what you're doing in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you, Judge Reverend, man. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to releasing this episode for a while now, and I'm really glad that we got to do it, especially in this time, especially in a time where we're all quarantined in our homes. We don't know what the future holds for us right now. And my man Abel, his whole message is about perseverance, not giving up, learning from our failures and our shortcomings in our past so that we can build a more powerful and promising future. And he's truly a man of action, a man of his word. He walks the talk. Believe me, he's he's just an awesome dude. And I hope that you guys go and check out what he's doing. Beyond his prowess as an American ninja warrior, he has a truly powerful mission to support our young warriors, this next generation. So go check out what he's doing, support what he's doing, get behind, fundraise, whatever you got to do to support this man because he's doing incredible work with the next generation of young leaders. So go out and check out what Abel's up to. While you're at it, please go check out what's going on with The Rising Man at risingman.org. We've got our Rising Man Fire Circles. We've got the new Inferno Circle, which is happening every season. We're launching a special opportunity for you guys to be on a team with me with and eight other guys for an entire season. We filled up our spring crew right away, so if you're interested, the summer crew is going to be rolling around real soon before we know it, probably when all this corona stuff blows over. So keep that in mind. We've also got another compass initiation that we're going to be dialing in in october and we're also committed to coming out australia this year i don't know when it's going to happen but it's going to happen by the end of 2020 mark my words this and so much else is happening at risingman.org so go check it out show some love on the site because we just put it up this year my man rowan time worked hard on getting it up there and it's looking really tight it's coming along really well so go check it out check us out on instagram at rising man movement as well as on youtube at youtube.com slash the rising man movement where we're putting all of our monday morning meditation episodes we have a video version for you now so you can watch the video and listen in uh, so go check those out that's that's going along real well if you haven't subscribed to the youtube channel yet please do we're trying to get those numbers up so we can expand the rising man message all over the place Also, on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us, please hit that subscribe, please hit that like, please hit that follow, whatever you're listening to, The Rising Man, like it up, follow it, subscribe, so that number one, you get the episodes each and every week right to your mailbox. Number two, you demonstrate how big of a following we are becoming, how big of a movement we are becoming as The Rising Man, letting other people know that The Rising Man is here to stay. I'm going to give a special shout out to my power squad, my guys who are hanging tough despite all the corona craziness and everything going on. Always adaptable, always flexible, always supporting me. This doesn't happen without these men. So Sean Offenbach, Ryan Wilcox, Julian Subic, Mark Rose, and Rowan Tyne. I appreciate you guys holding steady, holding the fort, holding the lines with me. Let's go. 
Corona can't get us down. We're coming back bigger, better, stronger. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. <laughs>